All right. Good evening, everyone. Either Jackie quit praying or isn't praying as hard because it's been sunny all week. The raspberries need rain, but I'm glad God's either ignoring you. I'm just kidding. You know that. It's been a beautiful week. I hope you've had a beautiful week. I didn't know it could be sunny four days in a row, but I'm so happy that it has been. And my wife is as well. Some of you, uh, somebody, some, one has already asked, and I know I'd mentioned it to several of you. My parents were coming for a visit, um, and they were supposed to be here this afternoon. My mom got sick yesterday, so she's in the hospital and is missing her visit. So um, she, I think I've told several of you, she had um, blood cancer. It's called multiple myeloma. That was diagnosed about three and a half years ago, and she had a stem cell transplant, a bone marrow transplant, which can take a while to recover. And um, it didn't take, so the cancer's come back. So we were hoping to be able to get her to make this trip. My brother was going to come with her and my dad um, just to get them both here, but they weren't able to. So um, I'll mention them in my prayer tonight just because uh, she's she's upset. She doesn't get to see her favorite child, and you know how devastating that can be. So, All right. As we get started this e- evening, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for just another beautiful day in your kingdom, for reminding us of your power and how you change the weather and the seasons and how you've created such beauty on this earth. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight to spend time in your word. Pray that you bless our discussion and what we say and what we do, that it will be correct and that we'll listen to what you have to say to us in your word. Lord, I do bring before you the the many that we've mentioned in our prayers and our thoughts that are going through difficult times. I pray for my mom and dad at this time and the struggles that my mom's going through. And I pray that you'll help her with her pain and and ease her her situation. We thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring caring for us enough to give us your son. It's through his holy name that we offer this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to be in Jonah tonight. So I told you I, I love studying the children of Israel, but... It can kind of wear you down week after week after week because sometimes the lessons we learn come back every week. So we're going to step away from the Israelites for a couple weeks. We're going to do Jonah tonight, and then we're going to do Daniel, the book of Daniel. So we'll do Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego next Wednesday night. My guess is between those sets of stories, we may trail into one more Wednesday night. Pat gets so talkative, it distracts us, and it kind of takes things away, and we don't quite advance. So it has nothing to do with me going off script, right, Jerry? Never. So um, so if you want to be turning to Jonah, is that me? Is this one on? Okay, good. If you want to be turning to the book of Jonah, uh, that's where we're going to be. So, okay. All right. The book of Jonah starts with a simple simple phrase. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So this is, Jonah is in Israel. He's under Jeroboam II. He's a prophet that God is going to call. We don't have a lot of information about him. Don't really need it for the story. But God tells him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. What do you know about Nineveh? Is this a good thing, a bad thing? Rough city, Jackie? Rough city. How rough? Like, Anchorage rough or not that bad? Probably worse. Okay, yeah. Is this something you want? It, let me. Would you want to be called? Give, give me a modern day example. What would you think this would be like? DC. <laughs> yeah. There you go. See, as somebody from Alabama, I would say it'd be like having to go to Georgia. You know that, that type of there. Kentucky. Where's Ron? 
Jerry, you're right. Um, so this is the equivalent of God calling me and saying, Stephen, I want you to go to Iran and, and preach. I want you to go to Baghdad and preach. You know, I want you to go to Beijing in the middle of another culture, another, and, and they're not, and you just know they're not going to receive it well. It's going to be rough. I don't want to be there. And so Jonah is being asked to do a not fun job. That's what I put in quotes, not fun, right? And so I, I, this week I'm, I'm hopefully not going to have as many let's deep dive and really debate something. Maybe we're going to have a few simple lessons this week. Um, and so one of them, I, these are things that speak to me that I think God is, is talking to me about. Um, Jonah's called to do something that's not a lot of fun. And I think it's a reminder for me that I'm not just called to do the fun stuff. See, if I had my way about me, we would have VBS every week. I think Fellowship Mills should be every week. I love game night. Jerry, I would be here every Friday night for game night. I really would. I love it. That's the fun stuff to do, right? That's what I want to do. Some of you would do camp every week all year, although maybe not in Alaska. That's not possible, but you would. It's fun stuff to do. But God sometimes calls us to do the not fun stuff. And it's a challenge to me because I need to be as involved in the not fun stuff as I am in the fun stuff. Nothing wrong with the fun stuff. Fellowship is great. But if my only ministry is fellowship, I'm probably not doing what God wants me to do, right? Because fellowship is important, but we aren't, I don't see us being called to a ministry of fellowship. When I see God call people, it's, it's to do things like spread the gospel. And so at some point I have to say, man, as much as I want to do game night every night and VBS and camp and fellowship meals, sooner or later I probably need to work the nursery. Ooh. Maybe I'd, I mean, let's not get crazy, right? There's other things I'd rather do. I'd rather take a 22 bullet in the right foot than work the nursery. I'll just be honest on the front side. My wife would, if I gave her a choice, my wife, and I said, do you want to teach a class of two adults, or would you rather teach a 1,000 three-year-olds? She'll take the 1,000 three-year-olds, right? I'm the opposite. Do you want to teach a class of a 1,000 adults, or do you want to babysit a three-year-old for eight minutes? I'll take the 1,000 adults all day long, right? There are things I don't want to do. Now, I don't want to undermine the fact that we're given talents. We're given abilities, right? My wife is great with kids. She walks in the room, and they think, who is this really sweet lady? You know, that's, that's a talent she has. But if all I do is ever work in the things that I'm kind of good at, and that's what I want to do, I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to be a, a five-talent Christian, right? I'm going to be that one-talent or two-talent Christian my whole life. So sometimes God calls us to do stuff that we really want to say, no. No, I, I just don't want to do that. But that shouldn't be our response. And so God calls Jonah, and being a really good uh, prophet, what's his response? Yes, God, I'll go do it. <laughs> right. God respond, uh, Jonah responds in a very realistic way. This is not going to be a fun job. And, and we all can sit before a group and say, well, I do whatever God tells me to do. I'll go wherever God calls me. Hmm, that's easy to say, isn't it? What if God calls me to be here during the Super Bowl? Ooh, when I wait a minute. You know, what if God calls me to preach? Ah, that's not really my thing. Or to teach a Bible class. Ah, that's not my thing. Or my wife meeting new people. Y'all probably know Emily's really sweet and friendly. But if we used to, so for many years of my life, we would go somewhere new. And she would say before we went in, if you leave my side, I'm going to punch you in the gut when we leave here, right? I am not. She, she just gets really nervous. Her hands sweat. She doesn't like meeting new people. But now we've done things where we go to visit visitors. 
And that for her is is really a tough thing. But it's it's neat that she's growing and doing these things. And so there's things like that where I need to go, oh, man. Because it's very easy for me to go, yeah, God, I'm going to run to Tarshish. Because that's what Jonah does. He He doesn't just say no to God. He runs in the other direction. Yeah. He, he has a 500-mile journey to do, and he says, no, I think I'll go somewhere else. Um, so how does that work for him? How does that go over? Yeah, what, what, what starts happening? He said, Tracy said, not so good. Story of Jonah. He goes the other direction. How does it go? I heard a few people. Yeah. He gets on a boat, heads the other direction, gets in a storm. It's interesting when you read through the story, he apparently gets on the boat and tells the sailors, I'm running from God. We see that later in the story, which that's probably not the way. Hey, good to meet you. I'm Stephen. I'm running from God. Hey, good to meet you. I'm Stephen. I'm running from God. You know, it's probably not the way you want to do it. But he decides he's going to run from God. So the story of Jonah oftentimes, when we teach it to our kids, so this is a kid story, right? We said there's no such thing. But what we say is you can't run from God. That's the take-home story from Jonah, right? You can't run from God. It's not the take-home story from Jonah, but it is a very good lesson to learn. But Jonah decides he's going to run the other direction. They get in storms. They get in the winds. It's bad enough that the sailors are throwing all of the stuff over the boat, hoping they don't die. And they say in there, and I'm going to simply use the word that they use, we need to all pray to our God, little g, to try to save us. They pray, and it gets worse. They go down to the bottom of the boat, they wake up Jonah. And, they, and this is where it says they knew that Jonah was trying to run from God. And they say, you need to pray to your God to see if you can stop this. Okay? So Jonah prays to God. Sorry. Jonah says, what you need to do is throw me overboard. Right? Throw me overboard. And they're like, ooh, I don't know. Because if your God is the one causing this and we throw you overboard, he might get mad at us. If he's not the one causing us, we've just thrown a guy overboard for no reason, right? So they don't want to do it. They throw more stuff. They try to, it gets worse. Eventually, they cast lots to see who the problem is. They say, Jonah, you're the problem. And they say, you know, I hope your God will hold us innocent. They throw him overboard, and what happens? Everything becomes calm, right? So let's take a minute to learn from this. Did the sailors, were they, were they the ones running from God? Had they sinned against God that we know of? Were they doing anything wrong that we know of? But my sin, just like Jonah's sin, can cause damage to other people. See, Jonah's sin is threatening the lives of people that had nothing to do with that sin. That's very sobering for me to think, oh, you know, I, I don't want the punishment for my sin. I really don't. I'm so glad that God has taken that away. But on this earth, my kids suffer because of my sin. My wife suffers because of my sin. The driver on the road, the people I'm around, people that are members of my family at church, they can all suffer because of my sin. It should be a very sobering thought for me to think, my sin can have consequences on people that are completely innocent. Now, we won't go down the pathway today, but that's one of the conversations I have when people say, how can a loving God allow this to happen to a one-year-old or an eight-year-old or a Christian? Well, it's because sin has consequences, and it doesn't mean that the only consequences you face are from your sin, right? When somebody walks into a building who's a 
person who's having problems mentally or they're an evil person and they start shooting and someone dies, they are facing the consequences for someone else's sin. Jonah, he brings consequences on these innocent sailors. So there's a part of me that says, you know what? Sin is bad. It's horrible. And there are innocent people that are going to get caught up because of my sin. I need to be aware of that. I need to be mindful of that. But when Jonah gets thrown overboard, right, and the winds stop and the waves stop, what is the response of these people who don't know his God, right? They have their own little g-gods. What's the response that occurs? They believed. Yeah. And somebody said it, they feared God, right? So here's a good take-home story that I didn't learn as a kid, but I want to learn it now. The way I respond to hardships, the way I respond to suffering, can bring other people to know God. Think about that. These sailors didn't know who God was. But at the end, they feared God. They believed that he was the God. They offered a sacrifice to him. That, that's great, isn't it? We talk about suffering. We talk about the suffering for the sake of Christianity. Um, we don't do it. We've already talked about this. One. We don't do it for this patch. You know, look at me. I suffered for God, right? Woohoo! I'm a great guy. No, that's not why we do it. We don't do it as a pop psychology. If God brings you through it or to it, He'll bring you through it. You've seen those types of things. You know, these self-help books. And so being a Christian is so that you have a better mental mindset, so that you can be a stronger person and get rid of your anxiety. No, that's not why we do it. And let me tell you that God may bring you to it. It doesn't mean he's going to bring you through it. I want to be very honest about that. And how he brings you through it, I had a conversation today with someone I work with who's not a Christian. And we were talking about, he was familiar with stories, and we were talking about the Israelites coming to the Red Sea. And he said, see, the Israelite, he parted the Red Sea for him. I said, that's right. Or he may have given him a boat, or he may have let him die on the beach, or he may have said, I'll get you through it, but you're going to have to swim across this sea. It's going to take a little bit of effort. God doesn't guarantee that he's going to take away every suffering or every hardship that comes in our life, right? So we don't suffer in consequences because of some pop culture, some pop psychology. If God is with you, you can do it. We suffer because, one, it makes us like Christ. That's what we're told, right? If your suffering is for the sake of the gospel, then you're like Christ. You can appreciate what Christ went to. But we suffer so that others look at you and go, Tony, you shouldn't have acted that. Wow, you're acting differently than I would have acted. How do you do that? What gives you the power to do Really, God, I want to know a little bit about that. We go through hardships a certain way so that people go, huh, you got through that very differently than I've seen other people get through it. What gives you that strength? Why did you do that? Why, did you, why didn't you lash out? Why didn't you retaliate? We do it so that other people, non-believers, go, oh, your God's the real God. I want to know about him. That's what these sailors say. Ooh, this is God. He's the real God. They believed, and then they offered a sacrifice. That's why I suffer for the sake of suffering, so that others know who God is. Not about me, not about pop psychology, not about if God brings you to it, he'll get you through it. Well, that's not necessarily true. Correct, and that, but that's the point. But look at his reaction. This is my fault, get rid of me. Not, well, what are you talking about? Or, 
Well, I mean, I think if you throw me overboard, God's going to overreact. I agree. God, Jonah wasn't suffering for the sake of Christ, you know, for the sake of God. But he was suffering, but he reacted to it by going, hey, this is my fault. Toss me over the ship. Because if I'm on that boat, and I think it's my fault, and I think whoever's fault they pin it on, they're going to throw overboard, most of them are probably thinking, I'll take my chances here on the boat. Right? Because if I know you're going to throw me overboard in the middle of a storm that we think the boat's going down, I'm probably not going to do very well bobbing in that water. But he didn't. And so you're right. This is not noble of Jonah to say, I'm suffering for the sake of God. But it is to say, this is my fault. Throw me overboard. And so that's where they go, huh. And even his sin that he then tried to make up for, right, he tries to say, hey, this is my fault. Even that led to others going, this is the real God. Because of the way he handled it, this is the real God. And that's why, you know, maybe I do get caught in something that's complete sin, right? But then how do I handle that? Do I lie about it? Do I minimize it? Or do I say, my fault? And other people go, you know, I've never had anybody admit to that. Why did you do that? I don't do it so that I look good. I do it say, well, I want to be right with God. You should, you should know God. God's going to forgive this. He's going to forgive what I did. And you, sh- you should know him. Because everything I do in life should be about God, right? Getting other people... Um, to understand who God is. Um, also, one quick lesson that I wrote down, and we teach this to our kids as well. Jonah runs away from God. There are consequences to sin. We know that. We don't have to get into that. But there are consequences to sin that doesn't just stop with him. We talk about that. But there are consequences. Jonah suffers for his sin. There are consequences to sin. And then the lesson, we can't hide from God. And that's the the story we tell kids, oh, see, God knew where Jonah was. And, and we will look at it a little differently. And um, Bob, Bob uh, Lawrence said this Sunday, and it got me to thinking about because I knew we were talking about this. He said, what if, if you remember for the Lord's Supper comments, what if um, you knew your worst thing you did this week was going to show up on the front page of the paper tomorrow, right? And, and that's, Wow. I'm going to sit here and smile while he says that so that nobody knows what I'm thinking in my mind, right? But we can't hide from God. We can't outrun him. That means I can't hide my sin from God. Oh, we all know that. Well, do we? Because we often couch our sins in such a way that we think we're going to get away with it. I can't hide my Bible study from God. See, I can talk about, oh, yeah, I... I read the Gospel of John seven times this week, and now I'm coming to Sunday morning class to talk about it, right? And I never cracked my Bible from the time I left till I came back. We can't hide our prayer life from God. I pray every night. Prayer is important to me. The last time I prayed was when we were at church, I guess. You know, we can't hide our service to God. We, I can't hide the way I treat my wife. I can't hide the thoughts I have. I can't hide that. It's not I can't run from God. Well, that's a good story to teach our kids. God knows where you are. I can't hide anything about my life from God. Now, that doesn't mean God is up there waiting. Oh, there's Stephen. Zap him dead. That's not what I'm talking about. But God knows the good, the bad, the habits. And so I don't need to be, you know, I'm an elder now. I spend four hours a day studying the Bible, and I pray seven times a day, about an hour each. Baloney. Okay, it's not, I, I don't do that. I, I can't do that. But I can often portray myself in such a way, God knows the truth, but you don't. 
We can't hide from God anything in our lives. Not just we can't run from him. All right, so Jonah gets thrown overboard, and this is the climax of the story. What happens? He's in the belly of the... Right, is it a fish or a whale? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I learned whale as a kid, and then I realized that's not the right word, and I was told, don't say whale. Who cares, right? It's something big enough to take in a person. Oh, that's a 200-pound fish. No, 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 no. 200-pound fish can't take in a 100-pound person, right? Yeah. You know, you're talking about a 1,500-pound fish or a 5,000-pound fish or a 10,000, probably more like a 10 or 20,000-pound fish or bigger. Call it a fish, call it a whale. I don't care. The Bible says fish, and I'm going to go with fish. It doesn't matter. But do you remember? Anybody ever remember studying this as a kid? Do you remember the workbooks you had and the picture they showed of Jonah? Anybody remember that? What did it always show him doing? Right, sitting there praying, right? In fact, I remember on a couple of them, they would have him with a little fire with his little chair he's sitting on. Anybody remember those? I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case. Okay, I'm fairly positive. I don't care how big the fish was, it was not fun in the belly. It was not good in the belly of the fish, okay? He didn't enjoy it. He didn't sit there and do this. God, let me pace around and think about you a little bit. No. Okay. He's in a vile, disgusting, terrible place. Probably at this point thinks he's going to die. I would, right? And so what's Jonah's response? Yeah. He prays and essentially worships. If you read his prayer in chapter 3 there, right? He praises God, gives thanksgiving to God, talks about wanting to be near to God, returning to God. I mean, thanksgiving while in the belly of the fish? I mean, I'm going to be thinking about, what just got in my mouth? What was that taste? Right? Oh, is my skin starting to be bleached or eaten off by the acid? You think God magically turned off the gastric juices of the large fish? I doubt it. You think it was miserable, vile, disgusting, smelly, slimy? Yes. And in the response to that, he prayed and he worshipped. Yes, ma'am. He did, but does everybody get to avoid the consequences or the end? Does every Christian get to avoid death when they come to a hardship? Did Jesus get to avoid the cross? He brought him to the cross, but Jesus still had to suffer the worst thing he could suffer, right? Did um, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, did God bring him through it? In one sense, yes, because God brought him to heaven. But on earth, no. God didn't say, Stephen, you're going to get stoned. But don't worry, I'm going to bring you through it. Because he didn't. He died. Right? So God doesn't say, I will get you through anything here on this earth so that you can be here on this earth. He will get us through anything, but it's not about survival on this earth. Because we see repeatedly people that do not survive the situation they're in. And that's okay. Paul's hardship. What is thorn in the flesh? We can debate all day what we think it is. God brought him to it. 
but he never took it away from him. It's an entire life that never went away. And it taught him something. So God does rescue Jonah. We'll study next week in Daniel, and I, and I love it. It's one of the, the, my favorite things they say in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're about to go into the fiery furnace, what do they say? God can deliver me. What they actually say is, God has the power to deliver me, but even if he doesn't, right? I'm not saying this because I want God to bring me out of the furnace. I'm saying this because God is God. That's what they say. God may choose to let us die in this furnace. So be it. That, that, that was their approach. Jonah thinks at this point he's dying, but he is praying for relief. Nothing wrong with praying for release, asking God to get us through it. That's what we would all do. Jonah wants out. And remember, at this point, there's only two ways out of the belly of a fish. Which way you want to go, right? Neither one is fun. But it's still better than the alternative of death, right? And so, yeah, God, and my lesson there is it doesn't matter whether it's good. I'm on the boat. I'm in the city. Everybody's responding, or I'm in the belly of the fish. My go-to response should be prayer. My go-to response should be prayer. And that's Jonah's go-to response. He's in a pretty bad situation, and he prays. And he gives thanksgiving. That's a tough one for me. I would have a hard time saying, God, I give thanksgiving to you for this terrible place I'm in. But that's what Jonah does. But Jonah also recognized God had spared him. When he's being thrown in the water, I don't think Jonah expected to come out of the water. I think he expected to go into the water and die. The middle of a storm, he's being thrown overboard. He expects this is going to be the end of his life. And God has saved him in the belly of the fish for now. So, Yes. I would, rather, that's good. I would rather die than have to go to Nineveh. Oh, God, this is worse than going to Nineveh. I mean, just let me die. Belly of the fish. You know what, God? Going to Nineveh is not such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Suddenly my attitude changed a little. Right. But, and he said, thank you. So maybe he had a recognition of, you know what, God? Thank you for this lesson. Maybe he truly was. You could have killed me and you haven't yet. You know, I've learned I should have gone to Nineveh, God. Thank you for that. And that's a, a tough one, again, because very seldom do I hear, you know, Stephen, your mom has multiple myeloma. Thank you, God. I appreciate that. And I don't want my mom to suffer. I'm not talking about being, you know, I hope that God gives me some suffering. But we aren't told to tolerate suffering. What are we told to do in the midst of it? Rejoice. Oh, man. Again, there's verses in the Bible that challenge me. Rejoicing and tolerating suffering. You know, if God brings me to it, he'll get me through it because I can tolerate it. Oh, that's not what it says. Stephen, endure suffering and hopefully you'll get through it. You should rejoice when trials and tribulations of all kind come. Oh, man. Jonah, well, he rejoiced. Thank you, God. Thank you. But he also knew I could be dead. I've learned a lesson. And there is thanksgiving in that. Um, another other brief lesson. Even from the belly of the fish, God heard his prayer. That's a good one for me. I, you know, Stephen, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if I run from God and I'm in the middle of sin somewhere. God heard his prayer. That's pretty amazing. From the belly of the fish. And the fish probably wasn't up, you know, sonar above the top of the ocean. Sending it. God heard him no matter where he was. Even though his sin put him in this situation, his sin was trying to run away from God, his sin had hurt other people, God still heard him. And he said, I'm listening to your prayer. I hear what you're doing. I hear what you're saying. 
and he causes the fish to vomit him up. Not a lot of explanation I can give you there that makes that a pretty picture. Vomits him up on the beach. So, Jonah chapter 3 begins the same way, except it says the word again. Begins the same way chapter 1 did. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again, right? Isn't it neat that God said, yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you screwed up. That's okay. Let's start this over. Let's give you a reset. Let's give you another chance. That is really neat to me. Because I think about that secret sin, that thing that y'all don't know about, and God says, yeah, it was disgusting. I've already forgotten it. And he doesn't say, Jonah, I'm going to give you another chance, but don't mess it up this time. Well, Jonah, this is your last chance. He says, hey, go to Nineveh and preach. I've asked you to go to Nineveh and preach. Go to Nineveh and preach. God says, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. Good for you. the homeless camp down the street yes so i'm not going to summarize what you said yet because we're about to talk about it but that's the story of jonah it's about religious arrogance of the chosen that's the story it's not about running from god i think that's an important topic it's not about god giving another chance i think that's a huge topic it's about i can't believe you saved those people yes how dare you say they don't deserve it they don't deserve it i have felt that way i will admit that i have felt that way about people how in the world can that person be saved they haven't done what i've done they got to they got to have fun their whole life and then they still get in heaven sounds ridiculous we do it all the time we do it all the time so God tells Jonah, okay, you got another chance. Jonah goes to Nineveh this time, right? Three days in the belly of a fish will change your attitude, change your response rate. Okay? God, I'm going to Nineveh. Okay, big city, 120,000 people, three days to walk across. Jonah preaches, and he has to preach all three days to get one person to listen, right? First day, what's the response? Out of 120,000 people, how many heard the message? They all heard it. Tony, you ever had 120,000 people respond to him? I've never seen it. That's a pretty good day, isn't it? Jonah goes in, and he says the simple thing that God told him to say. Because God says in chapter 3, I'm going to tell you what to say. In chapter 4, he says it. Everybody in the city heard it, all the way up to the king. And they responded. Think about that. Go ahead, Tony. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so Tony's talking about it. it doesn't matter how smart you are, your status. Jonah's covered in fish puke. But the message is what makes the difference. He probably wasn't very good looking at this point. 
I doubt he went and kind of washed off and got in the tanning bed to, you know, get this, whatever this uh, chlorine bleach stuff that happened to his skin, right, from the acid. I doubt he uh, fixed his hair, you know, if the hair didn't fall out. Jonah probably was a pretty rough-looking dude at this point. Didn't matter. Oh, he spent hours and hours preparing this nice, big, long sermon. No, he, told him, he said what God told him to say. Right? Simple message. God said, say, say X, and that's what he did. It's the message. It's the message. No. Yeah, and I, I could be wrong, but based on the response later, I doubt Jonah went through the city going, come on, man, repent. God's coming. He probably went, hey, repent. Not really, but, you know, it's like, eh, repent. Maybe God will not kill you too bad. Because, God, cause again, Jonah doesn't want them to respond. He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want God to spare them. But it was the message. God said do X. Now, I don't think that means we don't, we don't try to think about what we're saying. So we don't say, we're not going to use PowerPoint because the PowerPoint has no bearing. We're not going to use a microphone. Tony, don't use any examples. You know, James, you preach Sunday. Don't use any personal life. We only want you to use words straight, straight from the Bible. Nothing else in your sermon. I'm not saying that. We can think about what we say and how we say it. We can still try to be attractive to the world for the right reasons. I want to make sure you understand when I say that, right? Because I have people, well, you can't use humor in a sermon because that's, that's, ir- that's irreverent. No, it's not. You know, well, you need to be very solemn when you present the message. No emotion. No. I see lots of emotion in some of the sermons we see. I see lots of examples. I see, you know, so I'm not saying that. But it's still about the message. We never change the message. So we can use a PowerPoint. We can use personal examples. We can make things entertaining, not for the purpose of being entertaining. None of that is wrong as long as we don't compromise the message. That's what matters. And look at the power of the message. 120,000 people said, please, God, save us. They put on sackcloth and ashes. The king ordered it all the way down to the animals. God save us. God save us. Okay? So we see God tell Jonah to do something. Jonah sins and runs away. God gives him another chance. God says, I'm going to destroy the people of Nineveh. He sends a message. They respond. God saves them. God wants to save people. As a young child, not through anybody's fault, partly through what we teach, I viewed God Somewhat like my dad, and I thought my dad was waiting at home. Curfew is 11 o'clock, 11.01. Good, I get to ground him. No. God does not want to punish anybody. He doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. But if we're not careful, we view him as, if you remember the, the old sermon from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a three-and-a-half-hour sermon from the 19th century where he portrayed God holding people over hell, just waiting for the opportunity to go... You messed up. Bye-bye. God's just waiting to send down a thunderbolt. No, God hates sin, but he does not want to have to punish us for it. Now, he will, but he doesn't want to. God is not out there looking for us to mess up. I can't wait. You know, we look at this Old Testament God sometimes and think, he was waiting to destroy a city. He didn't want to do that. God, what's, what's God's will? We're told that everybody should be saved. Now, we know it's not going to happen. But God gave Jonah another chance. He gave 120,000 people another chance. God wants to give me another chance. Man, 
I sinned again. Why in the world? He wants to save me. He wants to spare me. He wants to give grace. And that should be my attitude. We talked a couple of weeks ago about forgiving a brother and, you know, the debate about whether they have to ask for forgiveness or whether they... You should have an attitude that says, I want to forgive everybody. Whether you want to debate about whether they have to, we can have that debate. But your heart needs to say, I want to forgive them. I want to forgive everybody because God wants to forgive us. And so if my heart is, well, if they don't do X, I'm not going to forgive them. You're already wrong. Now, if you want to forgive them, you're begging for the opportunity to forgive them, and we want to debate about whether you can or not. That's fine. God wants to forgive. He wanted Jonah to have another chance. He wanted the people of Nineveh to have another chance. He had condemned them to destruction, but he sent somebody to try to give them another chance. That's the God we have. And we have this Old Testament God view, right? Wrathful, vengeful God. New Testament loving. No, no. Read the Old Testament. The Old Testament has hundreds of examples of God's grace and mercy. Hundreds of them. He is a loving, graceful, merciful God. And he always has been. It didn't change when Jesus came into the world. Suddenly, I'm going to start giving grace and mercy. If so, Jonah would have never made it to Nineveh. Nineveh would have been destroyed. God wants to forgive us. That's what he wants to do. (laughs) Oh, and then I had a lesson, and it's somewhat what was... Oh, it's not our job, and I'm guilty of this. It's not our job to decide who's going to respond to the lesson. You see... I think those people in the homeless camp are there because of their own, their own doing. And when I go deal with people with addiction, I have a brother who's dealt with it for 30 years. It's his own decisions that put him there. And when I see people that choose to be a Muslim or an atheist, it's their own decisions that put them there. I'm not going to waste my time. Really? Really? Because it's my own decisions that made me have the weight I have, that made me have the sins I have, that made me have the... But God didn't punish me because of my own decisions that he gave me another chance. It's not my job to say, well, that person that's coming in asking for a handout, you're right. We don't have to let them take advantage of us. But they may still respond to the gospel. My brother who's been in rehab quite a few times, and I see him going down a pathway, that still, I still talk, talk to him about Jesus. And if I'm called to go to Iran, I'll go to Iran now. I need to be careful not to arrogantly say I'm called because I want to go somewhere, right? God actually spoke to Jonah directly, and he's not done that in my life the same, and he's not done that in your life the same, but there are ways he, he gives us opportunities. But my job is to preach to who I'm supposed to preach to, which, by the way, is everybody. <laughs> it's not for me to decide who's good enough for the gospel, right? Who's good enough to receive it, or <laughs> that's a waste of time. There are times where we have tried and we've tried and we are going to use our energies elsewhere. Even Jesus talks about, right, dusting off your sandals. But that's not our first response. That's not writing people off before we've given them a chance. That's not writing people off who've never heard the gospel, right? So I think I need to be really careful about looking at people and deciding whether they deserve the gospel or not, right? And you say, well, Jonah doesn't really have that attitude. Well, when God spares them... What's Jonah's reaction? Yay, right? 120,000 lives are saved. Now, what's Jonah's reaction? Yeah. I can't believe you didn't watch. I actually came out here to kind of watch it. I'm going to watch from up here, and I'm going to watch this city. Right? 
How dare you save them, God? And then it's, well, you know what, God? I knew you were going to save them. This is a waste of my time, right? I didn't need to be here. The story of Jonah is about the arrogance of those who think they're God's chosen. It's about Christians who look elsewhere and say, they don't deserve heaven, right? I said this before. Let's say you get in heaven one day and you see somebody that was homosexual. And I knew they were homosexual. That person was, a, was an alcoholic. How did they, they don't deserve to be here. Really? You know what that means? I think I earned my way to heaven. That's exactly what that means. That person worshiped differently than me. How in the world did they make? That means I think I earned my way to heaven. I'm not saying who's going to be in heaven or who's not. Stephen, do you think this group of Not my choice. Last time I checked, God was not going to consult Stephen Heffington on the day of judgment. Or any one of you. But if I look at someone else and think, how dare we let them be a Christian? How dare we let them into the waters of baptism? That means I think that I am good enough to be there and they aren't. And all that means is I think I've earned what I'm getting. And guess what? I didn't. I didn't earn heaven. I didn't earn heaven at all. I did things that God asked me to do, but I also did things that God didn't ask me to do, didn't I? Oh, but, but they had this sin or that sin. How can a homosexual be in heaven? How can a liar be in heaven? How can a gossiper be in heaven? Right? How can an addict be in heaven? Well, how can a murderer be in heaven? Well, how can the person who was apathetic? How can the worldly person who was worried as much about their job as they were about church? How can they be in heaven? Well, the same way. Because of God's, God's grace, right? Through Jesus' blood. Jonah, the story of Jonah is arrogance of the religious. I can't believe you spared those people. They deserved to be punished. And I deserved hell. And I hope Jonah doesn't look at me and say, I can't believe you spared Stephen because I don't want to be in hell. I want to be in heaven. And if that's the way we look at other people, we're like Jonah. Right? How dare you save them, God? So God raises up a plant. Jonah goes up on the hill and he pouts. Right? He acts like a three-year-old. He pouts. And he's in the sun and he's miserable. God raises up this plant and he gives him shade. Oh, this feels good. And the next day, plant dies. And Jonah, I can't believe this plant died. And God said, look, I raised up the plant. You didn't do anything to deserve it. I took the plant away. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You're no worse off than you were to start with. It was my choice to raise it up. And and guess what? It was my choice to save the 120,000 souls. I wanted to save the 120,000. Isn't that my choice? I mean, isn't that? Go ahead, Tony. Yes. Yeah. He should have been celebrating. Tony said everything went right for Jonah. Think about that. I preach a sermon, 120,000 souls are saved. Or at that point, lives are saved. I can't say. But God calls them souls, right? That is a great reason. Jonah should have said, you know, the story should be about Jonah's arrogance of, look at what I did. I saved 120,000 people. All of me. You know, that's what. Instead, he's like, I can't believe it. I wanted these people to die. How you dare you do that, God? Right? His attitude was terrible. Yet he got saved from a fish. He got a second chance. He became the, the most effective preacher I've ever heard of, other than Jesus. Right? 120,000 people in one day. Oh, God, this is terrible. This is awful. I'm going to go pout on the hill. I mean, really, I, I picture this little five-year-old up on the hill going, 
God's like, you are a baby. You really are. Let me tell you what I wanted you to learn from this. God may have done it to save 120,000, or he may have done it to teach Jonah a lesson. Right? This whole thing may have been about one person who didn't have the right attitude. It may have been about Jonah. And it may be about me. So it's not my job to decide who earned, who deserves to be in heaven, who deserves uh, to hear the gospel. I didn't earn my way to heaven. I didn't earn my way to salvation. And if I think any of those things, I'm just like Jonah. Well, time is running out, but I covered an entire book with no sidetracks. There's a first for everything. Any questions, comments, interjections, laments, alibis? They, they had no relation. So Nineveh would have been in non-Israel uh, or Judah country. It was 500 miles away. So they were not Israelites to God's show. So again, we sometimes forget God did save people besides Israel. We don't see their story because the Old Testament isn't about the story of these millions of other people that existed. So we don't know about all, that's not the that's not why the Old Testament doesn't tell us about every person and every relationship they had with God. So other comments? Alright, so just as a reminder, VBS is going on so the kids won't be coming in. We'll have our Devo time for whoever that is. James? Nope. You're dismissed until then, wherever that is. <laughs>